Going Linux episode 443, listener feedback. Welcome to the Going Linux podcast. I'm your host, Larry Bushy. And I'm your co-host, Bill. Whether you are new to Linux, upgrading from Windows to Linux, or just thinking about moving to Linux, this podcast will provide you with valuable information and advice that will help you in going Linux. We hope that you find this and all our episodes helpful in learning about Linux and open source applications and using them to get things done. If you want to send us feedback, our email address is goinglinux at gmail.com and our voicemail line is 1-904-468-7889. In today's episode, listener feedback. Hello, Bill. It's been a while. Hey, Larry. Sorry, yeah, the health issues. I got a nasty bug and it was out for a little bit, so (laughs) sorry. You don't need to apologize for, uh, you know, getting sick. You feeling okay? Uh, Yeah, I got a little bit of a cough, and uh, it's, as everybody knows, it's hot. But uh, (laughs) other than that, I'm all right. So, yeah. Any coughs we can edit out, including that one. (laughs) So if if I don't sound just quite right today, it's just because I'm still recovering from the nasty bug but we're gonna give it a uh a go and see what we how how this how this works all right fair enough uh okay well um as far as news is concerned on my front a few episodes ago i talked about uh looking at ubuntu cinnamon 23.04 and it looked much more promising than the first time I tried it, Ubuntu Cinnamon has been around for a while. Uh, It's a flavor of Ubuntu, official flavor of Ubuntu now. Before that, it was an Ubuntu spin using the Cinnamon desktop. And it is now an official flavor. And I tried the first release, which was 23.04, the current release, in a virtual machine. And it had a few quirks, uh, most of them due to the fact that it was in a virtual machine and I didn't have it optimized to run with what Ubuntu Cinnamon expected. So I decided, okay, well, let me give it a try. So I put it on my 2-in-1 Lenovo. Um, the good news is that 23.04 Ubuntu Cinnamon, although it's an interim release, and it does have a few things that I expect they will fix in the long-term support release. Uh, it uh, it works much, much better, and it is almost recommendable for new users. Some of the quirks and things that need some tweaking will need to be fixed before we can recommend it for the average user who isn't all that familiar with Linux or who is just moving from Windows or Mac to Linux, you know, you want that to be a good, smooth experience without a lot of fiddling around to get it to work. And I found that I had to do a little bit of fiddling. Some things, well, I I can tell they're not right because if you look at Linux Mint, which also uses the Cinnamon desktop, the problems don't exist. 
Uh, so, and if you look at any other flavor of Ubuntu, the problems that I'm seeing don't exist. Uh, so it is something with applying the cinema desktop to the Ubuntu distribution directly uh, for this particular project. And the one thing that is holding me back from recommending it the most at this point is the fact that in the panel, there is an area for displaying indicators for things like power and Wi-Fi and the things you expect to be in there. And unfortunately, some of the additional software that I use, which normally put an indicator in that tray area or that panel area, th those indicators don't show up. Uh, so I've had to do a bit of a workaround, and I've got it working uh, with that workaround, but it would be nice, it would be better, and it would be normal if those indicators just showed up. And some of the things that I expect indicators to show up on that don't actually show up are things like the caffeine indicator. That's the application that you can add to keep your screen alive and to disable the screensaver from coming on, that sort of thing. That indicator doesn't show up. Uh, adding Bitwarden, the password manager, there should be an indicator in the, uh, in, in the tray. It's not there. Uh, I use a clipboard manager called CopyQ. It's not there. The... Dropbox indicator doesn't show up, and uh, Discord has an indicator. Um, th those just simply don't show up. So, uh, can't recommend it yet, but hopefully in the next long-term support release, that issue goes away. And there are a couple others, minor issues that I wouldn't, I'm not even going to mention here. So, um, it, it's... A good, solid distribution now in terms of performance. It's nice and smooth. It's got some of the things that I miss on Ubuntu Mate that uh, I used to use routinely on Linux Mint when I was using it. Some of those things are features of the Cinnamon desktop, and they work just as well on Ubuntu Cinnamon as they do on Linux Mint. So... I'm looking forward to seeing what happens there. That sounds like uh, they're getting there, they, they, but uh, you think they're going to get those indicators fixed by next uh, release, you think? I hope so. I have no idea what it's going to take to fix those. I think that would be a relatively high priority for them. I I hope that they will get it fixed by the next long-term support release, and since this is an interim release, you should expect there will be some issues that they're working on, and I'm expecting that this is one of those. So we'll just hang tight and give it a better review once they have the long-term support release out. And hopefully then uh, we can recommend it for new users along with Linux Mint and Ubuntu Mate as our two favorites at this point. Yeah, yeah, sounds like a plan. I hope yeah. that they uh, look forward to seeing what they do to it uh, for the long-term release version. Yep. Sounds like a plan. So we'll take a look at that. I know you've been out ill, so I don't expect that you have, but have you been doing anything Linuxy 
over the past little while while I you've been recovering? <laughs> it, yep. Not computer related, besides being sick. Just before I got sick, I uh, had gotten a new puppy, and oh, uh, that's been fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you hear noises in the background, it's him. He uh, he he's uh, his name's Cosmo, and uh, he. Uh, uh, is in the chewing stage, so he's trying to chew wires and stuff. So we're uh, we're dealing with that, and uh, uh, right now uh, he's trying to eat something, and so here's <laughs> here's some noises. Uh, you just know that it's it's the puppy. Uh, uh, and little puppy tend to be, uh, what, how, like I say, they want to eat everything until they learn that they can't, they're not allowed to. <laughs> if you could give him a software update and get past this, I'd be very happy, but <laughs> I don't think that would work. So, but other than that, I haven't done anything except cough my lungs out and try to keep him from destroying <laughs> half the stuff in the house. Oh great. Uh, okay. Yeah. Well, if we ha- if we have to pause for you to go fix something that he's chewed on, uh we'll do that. Otherwise, we'll just keep going. This is this is just <laughs> going to be a, a fun one, but right now he seems to be content with his raw hide, so we'll see how long that lasts. You know. Okay. Sounds he, good. He has uh the uh, attention span of a a gnat. <laughs> All right. All right. Shall we get started with our email then? Yeah, I think we should. And uh, again, uh, I apologize in advance if there's a coughing or odd noises from the background, but we'll go try to keep it. Oh, okay. Great. Okay. Uh, our first email is from Biku, who provides us some additional software suggestions. Hola, Larry and Bill. Pretty solid software suggestions for a new user, for sure. Nice and concise list, for sure. I'd like to add a few applications that I personally consider top-notch and can't believe you guys missed. Just joking. In my view, Kden Live is the best open-source video editor available today and should be the go-to tool for anyone interested in video editing. We'll have a link to Kden Live as well as to all of the software and the references from our other feedback in our show notes. As always, continuing with Biku's email, coming to audio players, Quad Libet is easily one of the best audio players I've tried, and it has gotten everything an audiophile or a casual listener would want from an audio player. Its companion app, Xfalso, is a great tag editor. Remember, those two are separate packages in Ubuntu and most other distributions. As far as video players go, mPlayer is an absolute classic, and it is still in development and still remains a great video player. I personally use SimpleNote for my simple notation needs, but for most normal users, Carnet which is the French-Canadian way of pronouncing that, spelled C-A-R-N-E-T, anglicized it would be Carnet, is a wonderful, feature-rich, and cross-platform application. I'm not a gamer, but I know that a certain game called Minecraft is hugely popular, right? 
There's an open source game called Mind Test that is similar to Minecraft as far as gameplay is concerned, but it is written in C++ and Lua, so it requires quite a few resources compared to Minecraft, and runs even better on older computers. Discord is good, but it's proprietary and anti-privacy, so if you guys want to experiment with something floss and privacy-respecting, Miro Talk is a great choice. It runs in the browser and has the following features. Real-time audio and video calls, unlimited number of conference rooms without call time limitation, screen sharing, webcam streaming, chat room, meeting recording, interactive whiteboard, file sharing. Honestly, guys, give this a go. Try recording next podcast on Miro Talk. You guys won't regret it. Bye for now. Biku. Hmm. Well, thanks, Biku. Um, yeah, thanks, that Miro talk looks interesting. Uh, has many more features than we need, but hey, yeah. what doesn't, right? Um, that sounds good. Yeah, we might have to give it a, a try. Well, maybe we'll try it next time. All right. Uh, but yeah, we'll definitely look at Miro talk, hopefully today, and see what, see what it looks like. That'd be kind of cool. Mm-hmm. So, our next email comes from Kendrick, who emailed us about Linux antivirus and malware malware software. Hi, Larry and Bill. Thank you both for the great podcast. I have been listening for several years, and I'm always excited to listen when a new episode drops. I have been a Mac OS user since 2008 and Windows prior to that. Apple has decided that my 2013 MacBook Pro is end of life and will cease providing security updates for the Big Sur operating system later this year. As I like the hardware but do not want to run an unsupported OS, I plan to install Ubuntu Mate on this laptop in the next few months. After years of Using antivirus and malware software for Mac OS and Windows, I would prefer to do the same on Linux. Just for the confirmation, there are no baddies on my system. However, the few times I've heard mention of this type of software for Linux, it is in the context that it is not necessary. Many years ago, Mac OS was in the same position, but that is no longer true. I know you've covered recommended Linux software in episode 440, but did not hear you mention these types of utilities. I'm curious if you can comment on this uh, area in an upcoming episode for us noobs. Thanks, and keep up the good work. Regards, Kendrick, Fort Worth, Texas. Larry, I I had good luck with ClamAV when I installed it. It's in most of the repos I found. How about you? Yeah, ClamAV is about the only uh, antivirus for Linux that I have tried. And Linux is still in that stage that Mac was, um, as as Kendrick said a few years ago, where, you know, there are some uh, baddies that are developed specifically targeting Linux, but they usually get fixed so quickly that there's really not much to do other than make sure that your software is updated because they take care of that. Uh, running an antivirus on Linux is still something that 
is usually only recommended if you're frequently receiving and sending files, in other words, sharing files with Windows users, and I guess today Mac users as well, because it's more likely that you will get a file infected from them than it is get a, getting a, an infection directly for Linux. So you can use ClamAV, but quite frankly, it is best used on a server just to prevent the viruses from reaching you before they get to you. And of course, unless you have a server, that's not an option for you. But um, normally, if you practice safe computing and don't open links, you know, all the all the stuff that you hear, don't open links from strangers or don't open links from people you know, if you didn't request the links uh, without first verifying that they actually sent it to you, and then check to make sure that the link is taking you where you expect it to link to. And if you need to connect to your bank, never use the link that's provided in an email. Always go directly to your bank and log in and go find whatever it is there. And if it doesn't exist, then you can be pretty sure that that was a spam email trying to, or a phishing email trying to get you. Um, so antivirus for Linux, still not recommended, but I'm expecting that sometime in the near future, we'll be in the same position that Mac got into where there's enough of a population of desktop Linux users that the bad guys are going to go after us as well. But for now, we're Pretty safe, I think. Security through obscurity, I guess. <laughs> well, yes, security through obscurity, but also security through good, timely updates on the part of the Linux software developers and the open source software developers as well. So as long as they keep on top of it and are in advance of the uh, the bad guys, I think we're good. And anybody who's writing a program from scratch to infect somebody... Um, that's probably the biggest risk we have right now. But again, security through obscurity, nobody's doing that for Linux because uh, as compared with Windows users, Linux users are a minuscule number. And you go after, you know, uh, who was it? Billy the Kid or some famous outlaw in the U.S. used to say when asked, why do you rob banks? He said, because that's where the money is. <laughs> um, that's the same thing with, uh, with antivirus and Linux. Yeah. And, you know, I would have to say that, you know, antivirus, I mean, if you want to run it, you know, you've got claim AV, but as a general rule, if you don't go to sites, um, and don't share a lot of files with the, uh, other people, um, you shouldn't have any real issues because, uh, like a Windows EXE file's not going to do anything on your Linux, so it's just going to sit there. So I don't know. It, it, it's uh, always practice the safe uh, computing, and I think you'll be good until uh, the you know they finally say it, it might be a good idea to have uh, <laughs> some uh, antivirus on your Linux. So anyway, yeah. Yeah, and as far as other antivirus software for Linux that's offered by the popular antivirus software developers, I've tried a couple of them, and they don't really do anything more than what ClamAV does. They may be a little bit more easy to use than ClamAV is, but they are 
adding a lot of software to your computer at a very low level that, quite frankly, isn't doing too much other than bogging down your computer in some cases, making the computer operations more complex in other cases, and adding features that really you don't need at this point. Maybe sometime in the future. Yeah, maybe. Okay, enough said on that. All right. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. All right, Bobby has more information on Chris's query on low-end tablet suggestions. Hello, Larry and Bill. Thanks for all the work you do to bring news information and answers to the Going Linux community. I think your answer regarding Chris's question on low-end tablet suggestions could be improved with respect to Amazon's Fire HD tablets. I purchased an 8-inch Amazon Fire HD tablet in 2017 for less than $60 and still use it every day. Adding the Google Play Store and Google-related apps such as YouTube, Gmail, Google Drive, etc. is possible, and most apps added this way work without any issues. Hmm, okay, that's different from my experience, but maybe they fixed that. Okay, simply Google the phrase how to install the Google Play Store on every Amazon Fire tablet, or go to this link, and there's a link in the show notes, follow the instructions carefully, and you will have access to the Android apps on the Google Play Store on your Amazon tablet. Okay, there you go. Uh, Android apps can be added by downloading the Android Package Kit, APK, file directly from the software developer, and sideloading the app to the Amazon Fire HD tablet. These instructions are also easily found by asking Google how to sideload apps onto your Kindle Fire. This method does not involve using the Google Play Store. Android Android apps added this way will not automatically update. I have used both the Google Play Store and the sideloading method to add Android apps to my Amazon tablet with generally excellent results over the past six years. Hope this helps. Best regards, Rob. Thanks, Rob. Thanks, Rob. I wonder how hard it is to sideload just after it used to be. I heard it used to be kind of difficult, but maybe they fixed it. Or, uh, hmm. Yeah, well, there's a number of steps that might intimidate some new users, but I haven't done it on a uh, Kindle Fire, so. Do you have a Kindle Fire? I do not. I have had my hands on one and looked at what it would take to uh, install these things. And that was quite a while ago. So things may have changed. Sounds like they have. At the very least, it takes a few steps. Yeah. Okay. So thanks for that. And uh, uh, if anybody's got a uh, fire tablet, um, maybe that will help them. So our next email comes from George from Tulsa who has suggestions about Linux tablet and cheap tablets. The Pine Tab 2 is an inexpensive Linux tablet. More uh, info and he provides a link which we'll leave in the show notes. I know Pine was taking orders in April. I don't know if it is shipping yet. From many Linux blogs and podcasts i hear pine is a solid company with good and inexpensive products but i also glean that the order to the delivery time may be frustrating i 
I have two inexpensive tablets, a Kindle Fire. Uh, I, I value because the Amazon's text-to-speech in the Kindle app on Fire tablets is, is near audiobook quality. It's also very useful as a handy device for tracking my many Amazon <laughs> hard goods purchases and deliveries. Uh, yeah. <laughs> as a tablet, it is meh. Uh, weighed down by an inferior screen and not too much unavoidable Amazon on-screen branding. The Amazon tablets are always cheap and often uh, on deep discount, but trying to jailbreak break from Amazon, it is possible uh, to sideload apps uh, from F-Droid. Uh, one second, Larry. Stop. You're being a pain. He's trying to chew everything. <laughs> um, let's see. I recommend uh, Fennec, the open source app uh, adaption of Firefox, to which it is possible to add the essential uBlock origin extension, and and the lifts uh, leaves the of links, which all these will be in the show notes if you want to look at them. I've had good luck with any soft keyboard and uh, notepad. My Nokia T10 offers a much nicer experience. It seems to be regularly on sale at $130. Nearly stock Android, no bloatware, and a guaranteed period if security updates, which is unusual in uh, Android land. Its 8-inch screen is ideal for couch time browsing. For added privacy, it is also possible to sideload from F-Droid. Okay. Finally, I have a iPad work provided in the over-optimistic goal that our small distributed uh, staff could FaceTime during the pandemic. Every Apple update makes me hate it more. No, Apple, we don't want our confidential work data uploaded to iCloud. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah ipads uh someone told me that the uh i've had an ipad one of the very first ones but i haven't had one in years and uh i and the one thing that they say is you know ipad is made to consume <laughs> data uh you know watch movies and and stuff like play games so yeah that's uh using it for work doesn't sound like it would be the best idea <laughs> Yeah, especially if you have devices that are personal devices on the Apple network or the Apple ecosystem, as well as your uh, work devices, and you've connected them because you've got a single Apple ID, uh, then suddenly all of your personal data is mixed in with your company data and not good, not good at yeah. all. I use an iPhone for my, my cell phone, and I know exactly it wants to up... Uh, upload everything to iCloud. Uh, you know, yeah. pictures. I've, uh, of course, uh, I don't upload anything to iCloud, not pictures or anything. I have, you know, I, either it's on my Google Drive or uh, something like that. But uh, yeah, I try not, they, they try to get you locked in because it is a, truly an ecosystem. But anyway. Yep. Yep. <laughs> absolutely. Okay. Well, thanks for that feedback and thanks for all the. Links, we'll have those in the show notes. Yeah, and thanks again. Yep.
So Biku wrote again, this time about wear leveling and trim in SSD drives. Hola, guys. Ambrose was worried about wear leveling and trim in SSD drives. This article is all he needs to read. And there's an article from DigitalOcean on how to configure periodic trim for SSD storage on Linux servers. Adios for now, Biko. So, Biku, thanks for the very short email and the link. <laughs> thanks, Biku. So, our next email comes from Rich, who suggested the framework. Hi, Larry and Bill. I thought to reach out about the topic of laptops that won't come pre-installed with Linux or are at least Linux-friendly. It seems like when the topic comes up, the usual suspects are mentioned, like System76, etc. I have nothing against those, but am curious if Framework is on your radar at all. Uh, I have been leaning towards getting one as soon as my Dell XPS 13 finally kicks the bucket. Um, it come it came pre-installed with Ubuntu, but I wiped it and reinstalled anyway. <laughs> I would love to hear an uh, objective review of framework by a Linux user, the good, the bad, the ugly. And he provides the link to the framework laptop. Thanks, Rich. Um, I heard about the framework. I heard uh, good things about it as far as uh, being able to up um to upgrade it and stuff so have you heard about it larry i have and i've investigated them they are not inexpensive laptops but they seem to be very good quality they're designed to allow you to replace just about any component and of course they sell those components on the their website <clears throat> and they also uh, are designed to be serviceable by the user and their, their philosophy is you keep the hardware, you can upgrade the hardware component wise, including the motherboard if you want to. And you just basically upgrade as you go, which can save you money in the long run by extending the life of the hardware. And, uh, like I said, they are not inexpensive. They are, they appear to be, I haven't had my hands on one, but they appear to be very good quality. And I had also yesterday, as a matter of fact, come across another laptop manufacturer based in the Netherlands, I believe, where they have um, built laptops with basically the same kind of philosophy, much, much more configurable. Uh, not any less expensive, but, uh, lots of good features, lots of good configurability, compatibility with Linux, uh, designed specifically for Linux. In fact, they charge more for a version that dual boots with Windows. You can't buy it, as far as I can tell, with just Windows on it. So it's designed for Linux and uh, they offer all kinds of different Linuxes. Uh, and for the price for a premium laptop, I think it is on par or better than some of the components that you would get ordering a Dell or a Framework or a Lenovo. But um, the build quality of the laptop itself, from what I can tell, seems okay. 
uh, for this. I should probably mention the name of them. I haven't done that yet. It's Nova Custom. And brand new um, to me, anyway. It looks like they've been around for a little while. And I'll include a link in the show notes to Nova Custom, as well as to Framework. Uh, and if you're interested in a quality laptop that you don't mind spending some money on, that it's designed to work with Linux, all the components work with Linux, and is very configurable, either the Framework or this Nova Custom are probably the ones that you want to take a look at um, and built from scratch. Uh, of course, there are other manufacturers out there like uh, Tuxedo and others that we've mentioned here on the podcast that you'll want to look at as well. But since uh, you've brought up Framework and since I've just discovered Nova Custom, those are the two we'll mention for today. Okay, George from Tulsa wrote us about our episode 442 on Kubuntu. Hey guys, I'm not finished enjoying this episode, but I am past the point where I think my comment is pertinent. Bill never mentioned checking the security hash on his torrent download. On February 20th, 2016, the Linux Mint website was hacked, and for one day users were diverted to an FTP site with a version of Mint modified to include a backdoor. This even gave Mint a bad reputation for security, which persisted for years. I remember that. Yeah. I have, yeah, I have to admit, I am not knowledgeable enough about the, how torrents work to say that downloading a torrent file is more likely to result in a hacked ISO. But to me, that seems possible since the torrent client is assembling a full version from many computers scattered around the globe. Regardless, every version of Linux I've installed recently urges users to verify their security hashes before installing. Here's what Ubuntu says. While we hope you can usually trust our, your Ubuntu download, it is definitely reassuring to be able to verify that the image you have downloaded is not corrupted in some way, and also that it is an authentic image that hasn't been tampered with. He has a, uh, a link to that article on Ubuntu.com. We'll include that in the show notes. He continues, GTK Hash is a Linux GUI, Graphical User Interface Utility, that makes verifying hashes easier. First learned of it from Martin Wimpress of Ubuntu Podcast and Mate fame, here's a tutorial and provides a link. Since I don't do Windows, I'm not familiar how with how a Windows user, as Bill was, could verify a downloaded ISO before installing, so I'm just adding here a link to GTK hash alternatives from the useful alternative to website. I presume it is possible to verify the security hash from a Linux installed on a virtual machine. It may also work to verify the hash in Linux after doing a full install, but in both cases, it might be too late if truly ferocious malware was somewhere inserted into an ISO. Wise advice, George. Yes, yeah. you do want to make sure that you verify the... Um, the security of the ISO you've downloaded by taking a look at the hash. And, uh, yeah, the, pretty easy to do in most cases. I've done it on Windows years ago when I used to use Windows. So I know it's possible, but I don't remember how. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
Well, <laughs> if you uh, go to the Ubuntu website, I believe there is a link there uh, for people that use the uh, uh, different uh, download methods that will tell you how to verify uh, the hash uh, on your um, download. Um, but yeah, I should have mentioned that, but I didn't. Sorry. Yeah, it is uh, definitely a uh, uh, thing that you want to do, verifying the checksum. And the checksum is usually posted somewhere on the website where you downloaded it. And uh, then you can just use whatever utility or use that tutorial from Ubuntu to do the checking and make sure that the checksum matches with what's published on the website. And away you go then you can be much more uh, confident that you have downloaded what the developers originally intended. Yeah, and I also, uh, along with verifying that, I also look at the download uh, size. I know it, it could, it's not foolproof, but, you know, I want, if it says that it, it's uh, supposed to be a certain size. If it's not exactly that, then I I delve into it a, li a little bit more. Also, uh, I'm a little paranoid when it comes to security, uh, so I try not to go to websites uh, um, that I shouldn't go to, and I also try to uh, make sure that uh, you know it has you know. I know it's kind of stupid, but uh, there are still some sites that don't have the HTTPS, which, you know, it, it, that's not uh, a foolproof method of, you know, but if it just has an HTTP, I, I tend to try to avoid it. I don't know about how you do, Larry, but, you know, with everything going on, I try to be careful about that. <laughs> yeah. I, too, uh, tend to go to HTTPS sites unless I've gone to the HTTP sites for years and know exactly what they are. Uh, and so I think that always using HTTPS sites is, is uh, a better way to go these days because if it's an HTTP site, it's probably old and unmaintained. The past few years, in order to get your site even searchable by Google and other search engines, you have to have HTTPS. Otherwise, it frankly doesn't show up uh, or certainly doesn't show up very prominently. They deranked them, didn't they? If I remember. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yep. So anyway, that's uh, that's great points. I appreciate you uh, bringing that up, George. Um <laughs> I, I I did I did leave that out completely. I should have written that in. in. So <laughs> thanks, George. All right, our next email comes from Phil, who wrote about his retro gaming venture on Pop OS. Okay, he says hello, Bill and Larry. Hey, I got top billing, Larry. Um, yes, <laughs> love the show. I. Am replaceable sub minion Phil <laughs> in Iowa. <laughs> You're okay. now replaceable. Come on. Uh, so he says, I uh, I bought a Dell laptop, a Latitude 7480 with Windows 10 installed on it a few months ago. I am ashamed to say that I used Windows for a while. Admittedly, I made a mistake in the in the 
in the first step to recovery. (laughs) (laughs) Recently, I decided to make uh, to make the plunge by nuking and paving over windows after backing up everything, Bill, (laughs) (laughs) and installing Pop OS. I love it. I was prepared to give up my couple of games on the GOG library, but it turns out I didn't need to. Wine and related programs have come uh, such a long way since I tried to use them uh, last. And he writes, wow! I love the Pop! OS, the touchscreen gestures, the theming, and the workflow. Everything but the buggy of a pop shop. Thankfully, I don't have to use it much. I did... I did have trouble running a Need for Speed Hot Pursuit 3 and Porsche Unleashed. Uh, I downloaded pre-installed packages with EXE files and tried to make Lutris look in the folder. Lutris couldn't find or recognize uh, these as games. By the way, I own CD copies of both games but have no optical drive, so hopefully that keeps me on the right side of the law. Do you have any ideas for me? I know they have like some shareware programs or some programs in Linux that you have to have the CDs and uh, so you can pull the game files to make them work, but I don't know how that would work with Lutris uh, or if you even need to, so... Um, hmm. I would go to uh, uh, their forms and look in a bunch of forms too and ask if anybody's uh, figured out how to run those Need for Speed, Hot Pursuit, and uh, Porsche Unreleased. I'm sure there's got to be another Linux user that has uh, figured it out. Yeah, there's, there probably is a way. Um so these, if I remember from my days when I was doing more gaming than I'm doing now. You used to uh, game? These are the kinds, yeah, a little bit. Um, okay. So these are the kind of uh, games where you have to have the CD inserted into the drive while you're playing the game. If you remove the CD, it doesn't play. Oh, is okay. That, is it? I, I don't I'm, think so. I'm asking. I don't know. No. Oh, okay. I don't think so. I think that's uh, they don't uh, really do that anymore because there's not a lot okay. of uh, computers that that, that, ha- that have optical drives. <laughs> have CD drives. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, I was just going to say one way that I can think might be around that is to create a um, an ISO of the CD, and then with it. Within Linux, you have the ability to mount the ISO as a virtual, if you will, or an imaginary CD drive. Uh, so you just mount the ISO, and to the computer, it looks like a CD drive with that CD installed uh, in the drive, so or inserted in the drive. So um, that would be a way to do that if uh, if that's what the issue is. But if it's just a matter of, you know, you want to make sure that you're on the right side of the law by ensuring that you are using a legal copy. Um, you know, CDs are not infallible, so it's okay to make a backup copy of a CD, I would imagine. And as a result, uh, that backup copy could be, 
you know, an ISO or it could be something else that would allow you to just store that somewhere other than in a CD that's, you know, subject to degrading with sunlight and other things that make CDs go boom. Um, <laughs> yeah, <they> go boom. <laughs> I would reach out to... Uh, just ask a question in uh, uh, their forums and see if someone has a solution or, you know, it might be so, uh, something in Lutris that you can, you have to do. I just don't know enough about Lutris. I should go look at that. Uh, if I get a chance today, uh, I will, I'll see what I can find. And if I find anything, I'll, uh, I'll let you guys know. Okay. We'll look forward to that update. That's, wow, we went through that pretty quickly. Uh, that looks like the end of our list of emails for today. Thanks to everyone who submitted feedback. We appreciate it. And uh, our next episode is not Kubuntu. We did that one. Um, Linux desktops. So desktop environments. Yes. I'm still in the middle of, of writing that one. But we will get that, and we will have a review, maybe not in great detail, because there are a lot of different choices there, but at least give you an overview of, of the top 10 or so, and which ones uh, we would recommend. And how do, you, how do you do that? I mean, how do you try out different desktops? Uh, that's yeah. kind of the thing that we would answer. And I know I found a recent review of desktops, fairly recent review of desktops um, on YouTube. So I will provide a link to that uh, in the upcoming episode, episode as well so that you'll have uh, a ranking of, in one person's opinion, of which are the best, which are not, and we'll have a little, at least I will have some comments on the ranking to share with you as well. Not necessarily that I disagree or agree, but I'll have comments. <laughs> yeah. I'll have to look at that too. All right. <laughs> yeah. Until then, you can go to our website at goinglinux.com for articles and show notes, as well as links to download and subscribe. We provide the website for computer users who just want to use Linux to get things done. And if you'd like, you can participate directly with our friendly and helpful community members by joining the discussion in our Going Linux podcast community on community.goinglinux.com. Until next time, thanks for listening. 73. Music provided by Mark Blasco at podcastthemes.com.